1: Man, it's like a breath of fresh air in the middle of the week to come into a service and just worship and feel the presence of God. How many of you are thankful for that? Amen. At this time, children, you are released. Twelve to, Sister Bridget, four. Four to twelve. You may go. And have a great time. You guys are going to learn a fun song that you're going to teach us on Sunday morning. So do real good. Amen. Parents, you can escort your children. Amen. Um, While they are out, and waiting for the parents to come back. Brother Roberts, I did not give you a warning, but you've probably done that to me a couple times. So anyway, no, would you come and greet us? It is so great to have them. We've been praying for them in the church there in two rivers where it was negative 24 degrees.
0: Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Feels good in here. We, we uh, drove in the parking lot, and I said, what in the world's going on? I've never seen this bigger crowd at a Wednesday night at Living Hope, and I like it. Amen? Hallelujah. Come on, in this crazy, mixed-up world, we need to be in church all we can. Amen? I was telling some folks, you have had more snow here than we've had in Wisconsin. We've had a couple of storms, a couple inches here, a couple inches there. And um, one day I went outside, and it was snowing, and we had two inches of snow pretty little snow and all the wind was blowing so hard and all the snow blew off my driveway and I thought, great job. I don't, have to, I don't have to shovel anything. And I went back in and went to bed and the next morning I came out and I had a drift around my truck almost three feet high that had blown that two inches of snow out of the field across the street. And uh, we have seen some cold temperatures. They told us it's not that cold, but we have seen it down to negative 24 with the windchill. It was 15 to 24, negative wind chill there for about 48 hours. And um, it was cold, but um, it was beautiful here today. Amen. I've been doing a little bit of teaching, as you can imagine. I don't know if any of you remember, I taught a series here a couple of years ago on nominalized Christianity. Christianity that's become ineffective. And I've realized one of the points that I made is probably more true now than it was a couple of years ago. and gave four reasons why Christianity has become nominalized, and one of those is irrelevant truth. As I began to study this out and think about it, what do you mean, Brother Roberts, what do you mean by irrelevant truth? Here's irrelevant truth. I've got the truth of science. I've got the truth of medicine. I've got the truth of culture. I've got the truth of society, and then I've got the truth of God's Word. And when those truths begin to compete, listen to me, when they begin to compete, if there's any competition between the Word of God and medicine, or social, or culture, or any of those truths, when there's a competition, what it does is it makes the real truth ineffective. And I don't want my, listen, I've come too far in the Lord to be ineffective Listen, I I, I believe in doctors. I believe in that. But the number one thing I believe in is the word of Jesus Christ, that Bible. Amen? Amen. He's a good God, isn't he? I'm not going to let truth become irrelevant in my life. I'm going to do everything I can. God bless you. so good to be here. We can't wait to be here on Sunday. I asked Pastor for the day off, and he insisted. So, hallelujah. We love you all. so good to see you.
1: Amen. Love and miss y'all a whole bunch. Amen. I'm going to get right into our notes. Um, as we discussed last Wednesday night, our theme this year, our vision is strengthening families. Amen. How many of you can remember the, the motto, I guess you call it? We are a f- strong family of believers that exist to build strong families. Good job. How many of you got it right? Not a lot. We got. A lot. I mean, you got the whole year, okay? So we're gonna give you a little bit of leeway. <laughs> um, I had to actually look it up right before church because I was like, okay, I couldn't remember the exist part. I was like, what is that word? Anyway, I got it. Amen. Um, tonight we are we're gonna talk about the family. We're gonna talk about a lot of stuff, and my desire tonight is to awaken us as a church. And I'm I'm not trying to be dramatic tonight. I'm not pursuing a shallow, temporary, emotional response from everyone in the room, but I simply want to awaken us as parents, as teenagers. So teenagers, this is for you tonight too. Husbands, wives, single adults, whatever you are, grandparent, aunt, uncle, but I want to awaken us to what is truly going on. Brother Roberts talked about truth. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about tonight. And from the get-go of our Wednesday night services and our, the series and all the things we're going to be talking about, I told you all last week that we're going to be talking about some hard subjects. We're going to be digging deep into some things that it might get a little uncomfortable, but you'll be fine. I'm the one that's going to be standing up here saying them. So imagine being me, you will be fine. But as we go into this, I'm going to ask everyone to do me a favor. Everybody say, yes, we will. See, you agreed to it before I even said it. I'm asking you to do a few things. One, I want you to throw away your political party card. Okay? Because there's a lot of things that has become political that are not. They are straight-up biblical principles and truths of God's word. And if you are holding fast to what a political party, I don't care what it is. I'm not picking sides here. But if that's your platform, if that's where your, your foundation is, your feathers are going to get ruffled because I can promise you there's a lot of stuff in this word right here that ain't going to line up with what your Republican or your Democrat party has to say. So I'm asking you to throw them away. Okay? I'm asking you to somehow forget what you hear on the news. Hopefully, I mean, we've been preaching this for a long time, turn off the news. But I know some still have to watch it for, you know, weather reports. I'm sure that's why you watch it. But forget about what you hear on the news. I'm asking you to put on your spiritual glasses. I'm asking you to pray over your mind every single week that as you walk into the doors of this church for a Sunday service or a Wednesday service or a youth service or whatever it may be, That you would remove any distraction, remove any previous mindsets that would keep you from realizing what the Word of God says. Is that a deal? I promise and commit to you that the leadership of this church will preach to you from the Word of God. We're not going to preach opinions. We're going to preach the Word of God. And if you promise to accept the Word of God and remove all the other things that you may look through then we'll we'll have a real good time this year. Amen? Amen. I want us to turn to Genesis chapter 2. And um, as we start digging in, a lot of the things that you are going to hear me say tonight, you've probably heard. And you may think it's a soapbox. It's okay. Soapboxes are okay. They make you clean sometimes. Or what's inside does. I don't know. I don't even know. Is that is that what that means? What is a soap box? Anybody know what an actual physical soap box is? It is is a box of soap. Right? Just kidding. A shoe shine box. I still don't know what that means. <laughs> either way. Either way, you've probably heard me say some especially a lot of things I'm gonna say tonight. Um, If you were one of the women that may have come to a ladies' Bible study every now and then, you may have heard some of this. But Genesis chapter 2, we're going to go to verse 15. And I'm going to talk about the plan. All right. This is the plan. God's original plan for the family. All right. So let's read. And the Lord... God took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. I think he did a pretty good job naming all the animals. Some of them are kind of weird, but, you know, he has a big job. That was a lot of work. <laughs> and whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and helpmeet for him. Say, Adam had no help. Bless his heart. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, which is a great scripture, but not a great song. She shall be called. She shall be called woman. And if y'all know my wedding story, you know, because she was taken out of man. And at some, sometime I'll explain it to the rest of y'all. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they both were naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Amen. You may be seated. So here we have the plan. We have the plan from the Lord. It's the creation of the first family, a man, a woman, his husband and wife. It seems pretty simple, right? We've got man. His job is go name all the animals, take care of them, be in charge of them, take care of the garden. Then we have the woman, help him, <laughs> okay? That was, it seems pretty simple, help him. Together, be fruitful and multiply, love one another, cleave to one another, One rule. One rule. Don't eat from that one tree. You've got thousands of others to eat from. Now, you can have every single tree of the garden is for you, except just this one. Just don't eat of it. The garden was God's intended plan for humanity. This is where he was going to commune with Adam, and this is where he would commune with Eve. It was a perfect paradise, right? I mean, it was just Uh, I mean, if we could have a picture of it, it's just a, a picture of beauty, a place where there was perfect peace, a place where God would walk with them in the cool of the day and talk with them. And God so desired relationship with mankind that he created this perfect setup. The garden, the animals, nourishment, man, woman, and God. Sounds like a pretty good deal. If you like animals. If you don't, that probably wouldn't have been a great deal for you. But what I do know is God is a God of order. Amen. And throughout scripture there's always order when God's involved. And so in the family God designed there to be order. So first we have Jesus Christ as the head of it all. He's the boss. Amen. Then we have the husband and the father or the father is under under Jesus Christ. Then you have the wife and the mother. Um, she's to be the helpmeet, and through submission, and we'll talk more about that in lessons to come. She brings glory to God by her submission, amen. And so, and then after that, we have the children. So if you look at this, I don't know how well you can see it; it's a little bit blurry, but it's got a, some of the roles of the husband: is to protect the family, lead the family, provide for the family, and then you have the wife. She's there for comfort and teaching and nurturing. Um, there, this is not all of them, so don't everybody freak out and be like, well, I do way more than that, <laughs> okay? This is not all of it, okay? <laughs> I know, your your list of duties is quite long. And children, are you listening? Here's what you're supposed to do. Love your parents and obey them. Ooh, can I get nobody's really excited about that. (laughs) They're like, "Uh, can we go to the children's class? Um, No, I'm going to help you guys because y'all are awesome. And I'm going to help you be even more awesome. But this is the order. And what we know is that when things get out of order, what do you have? Chaos. And if you see, I love the illustration of the umbrella because what a lot of people don't really understand is how submission to this order Creates protection. There's protection for for you when you submit, okay? So kids, when you submit to your parents, teenagers, when you submit to what your parents say, you know they're not telling you to do these things because they hate your guts, okay? They're telling you because they want to protect you. So hey, hey, little Billy, how about you don't run in front of Mack trucks? But that's so fun. I want to run in front of Mack trucks. Well, it's probably not a good idea because you're probably going to die, If you do. All right, that's obviously an extreme. I don't know many kids who like to run in front of Mack trucks. They just like to run and don't understand the dangers. That's where your parents come in. That's where your your mom, your dad, or your husband, ladies, We're going to talk about submission. I know y'all are probably going to be sick that night. That's why I'm going to tell you whenever I'm teaching on it. (laughs) And And then we have Jesus, obviously. He is over it all. And we'll go more into depth in this as we go throughout the year doing teaching on family. But this was the original plan. This was the order. This is how it was supposed to be. So what went wrong? What went wrong? One verse after God establishes the family, one verse after God puts in place a plan for humanity, one verse after God creates a union that is so precious, so carefully thought out, and so perfectly designed, one verse enter the serpent. Chapter 3 of Genesis starts with this. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, Oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You won't die, Okay, here's one of those big blaring red lights. Lie alert, okay? That's lie number one. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be open. You shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Lie. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired, to make one wise, she took of the fruit. Ah, that moment right there. I just (laughs) want to be like... (laughs) She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, gave it to her husband. And what did he do? He ate it. This is what I know, y'all. Satan hates you. He hates your relationship with God. He hates everything about you. He hates your children. He hates your marriage. He hates you as an individual. He hates your mom, your dad, your aunts, uncles, grandparents. He hates everything everything about you. He hates the fact that you have relationship with God, that he, he, once, he once had that. He hates you. And he wants to rob you of the most intimate relationships in your life. He wants to rob you of your relationship with God. He wants to rob you of your relationship with your spouse, with your kids. He wants to rob you of these things because he knows God created us for that. And so anything that God does, he wants to do the opposite. He's really the worst, <laughs> you know? He's just a terrible, terrible thing. And so how does he do this? How does he rob us of these things? He lies. He is the father of lies. John eight forty four. Jesus said, there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. This is the only time in Scripture that you'll see Satan given credit for being the creator of anything. And it was Jesus who said, he's the father of lies. He's a liar. And this is what he did to Eve. He did, and this is what he does. Have you ever heard the term, if their mouths move and they're lying? Usually we say it about politicians, which is usually accurate. But that's, that's what he is. He is a liar. And I want to talk for a minute about um, a, it's a biblical theology kind of concept called the Law of First Mention. And the Law of First Mention says that to understand a particular word, doctrine, or principle, we must find the first place in Scripture that this word, doctrine, or principle is revealed and study that passage. The reasoning is that the Bible's first mention of a concept is the simplest and clearest presentation, And so, to fully understand a complex theological thought or principle or a concept, when you're studying theology, a Bible student is usually advised to start with its first mention. So, we look back the first place where Satan enters the scene. He first enters and his first attack is setting precedent. He doesn't attack Eve's body. He doesn't, like, punch her in the face. He doesn't, you know, attack her with a physical disease, sickness, or anything like that. He attacks her mind. He attacks Eve's thoughts, and he makes her to start questioning God. And that's exactly what he does today. Eve starts questioning God's motives. She starts to question, you know, well, maybe it's not that big of a deal, Or maybe God is jealous and he doesn't want me to be like him. And that's what the devil starts doing. And what he did is he was able to get her focused on what she cannot have, never mind the four billion other trees that she could eat from. Nobody's talking about that. <laughs> I mean, she had free reign. She had this perfect place of peace. She had this perfect place of, of you know, just a great paradise here. And the, and the serpent starts bringing doubt into her mind about God's goodness and gets her focused on the one thing that God said, don't get around and don't partake of. His tactics have not changed. I can't tell you how many people have left the church because of one thing they felt like, well, I just can't do this. Well, but you can have peace, and you can have some joy, and you can have a successful marriage, and and your kids could grow up and have a right mind, and there's those benefits, but yeah, leave over one thing you can't have. He hasn't changed his tactics. Your adversary is the devil. And I need you to understand this because as we move forward into doing and digging into some family stuff, you need to recognize your adversary is not your spouse. Look at your spouse and say, You're not my enemy, honey. I love you. <laughs> some of y'all have gotten a fight on your way to church. You ain't doing it right now. I know. I'm just kidding. No, you know, you guys don't fight on the way to church. <laughs> I was just letting it rest for a minute to see who would say amen. We never do. Usually that's where the devil fights the hardest. That's why I'll ride to church with my husband. <laughs> I'm kidding. That is not why. It's usually because he gets here way earlier than I do. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> I just thought of that. It just came to my head. But your adversary is not your spouse. It's not your child. (laughs) I know sometimes, especially if you have, you know, a two-year-old, you can think, this child wants to kill me. But they don't. It's not your parents, teenagers. Your enemy is not your parents. And I know you hear the opposite of that in things that you watch and things that you're hearing and all of that mess. But your parent is not your enemy. Your ex is not your enemy. Some of y'all are like, now that's a lie. <laughs> that one hit home a little too close. <laughs> your neighbor is not your enemy. And the person sitting on that side of the church or that side of the church, they are not your enemy. We've got to recognize the source. It is the serpent. It is the adversary. It is the devil. All right? And the enemy that we're fighting is a very spiritual enemy, it feels like flesh and blood, you know, and we quote that scripture. We don't wrestle again. Sometimes I feel like it'd be easier to wrestle flesh and blood because, you know, one, one quick boopity boop, you can just take them out, you know. <laughs> I don't know what a boopity boop is. It's different for everyone, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So we've got to understand that the devil is the enemy, and I'm setting some groundwork here for us, so just hang with me for a little bit. But the devil wants you to think that everyone else is your enemy. There's an old saying that goes, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. Because if we act like the devil doesn't exist, which I wish he didn't, but he does, then, then you really are my enemy. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The enemy is the devil. He's, his mission is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And this is what I know. You cannot change what you do not confront. And you cannot defeat what you cannot define. So tonight, we're going to confront some things, and we're going to define some things. So where are we now? We know what the plan was. We know where it went wrong. So where are we now? And what we're dealing with um, in our world today and the things I'm going to talk about, these are not new things, okay? This isn't like this just started happening. Um, It's a spirit. And those spirits have been around ever since Satan got the boot. And his whole purpose has been to destroy everything that God wants to be good, So I want us to go to 1 Kings chapter 11 and verses 1 through 8. We're going to read, and I'm going to take a drink of water while y'all listen. All right. Sorry about that. I usually don't like doing that, but I just have to. 1 Kings chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. But King Solomon loved many strange women. (laughs) King Solomon loved many strange women. I'm just going to let that sit for a minute. Be careful who you love. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, don't go into them. Neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon, clave unto these in love. Let me just tell y'all singles something. Flirt to convert don't work. And you can write that in your notes and be like, wow, this was really good. I've been in ministry for 25 years. And I'm just going to tell you 99.999% of the time, when you go dating somebody out in the world thinking you're going to win them to Jesus, they usually win you, all right? And I could tell you story after story after story, and I won't do that because that would be not nice. But just trust me on this one, all right? So young people, when you're looking for a spouse, when you're looking for someone to date, you're looking for someone to to commit to, you need to look and see who's up here worshiping in the altars. If they sit on that back row back there and cut up during church, don't look to them. That ain't the one for you. You don't even have to pray about it. You don't even have to come to pastor and be like, I think that I'm in love with this person. I know they don't ever worship and they don't ever do anything worth anything. They have no motivation whatsoever to live for God, but I just love them. Will you pray with me? I can promise you we're not praying. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you straight up. I'm not praying. I'm going to look you square in your eyeballs, and I'm going to say, run, (laughs) okay? That ain't the one for you. Now, they may be at some point down the road, once they, you know, get up here and get things right and start showing some motivation to get their life together. But until then, you better leave that joker alone. I'm telling you, you better listen to me. All right. It's tight, but it's right. That's what they say. <clears throat> but my husband's what's his thing? He says, y'all don't want to help me preach. So that's going to be mine. It's tight, but it's right. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Which, I mean, all you got to do is look at Solomon. Look, We're getting ready to see what happened to Solomon because he started hooking up with these strange women that God said, stay away from. Don't be unequally yoked. Do you know what that means? Don't be hooked up next to someone who does not believe what you believe. They ain't going the same direction you're going. They don't have the same value system. they just, they're crazy as all get out. Don't hook up with crazy people. That's the point. <laughs> okay. Amen. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had, here's, I mean, here's problem number one. He had 700 wives. He had princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he went not fully after the Lord as David his father. Then did Solomon build an high place for Chamash, as another god, the abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he all for all his strange wives. He did it for the women in his lives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. I want to take a look at some of these gods that Solomon brought into Israel and began to worship. These were not just idols of stone and iron, and we could say, well, they were just idols, no big deal. But pagan idol worship was demonic worship, okay? This was the worship of demons. It was very spiritual. It wasn't just some, you know, casual thing, and you could be like, oh, it's, I mean, it's a stone. What is he going to do? No, there was demonic uh, backing to all of this, all right? And so let's look at the first one that it mentions, Ashtoreth. that is a god of sexual immorality. And if you don't think that that's an issue, you probably should wake up. Brother Rashidi Collins tells of a meeting that he was part of in his community in Florida, where the um, they were city people and um, leaders in the community were addressing the issue of sex trafficking in children. And the question was asked to a man who was involved in the trafficking business. And they asked him, Why would you do this? Why in the world would you take these 12 and 13, even younger, year old girls and do this to them? And his response was, Well, I get $80 an hour for an adult woman, but I get $400 an hour for a 12 year old. This is in America. This is happening in our cities and our communities. And I'm going to prove to you in just a little bit, if that doesn't do it, that Satan is after our children. He's after them with everything within him. I can't even imagine the thought process of that. And as a mother of a 12-year-old girl... That whole, we don't fight against flesh and blood thing is really, (laughs) real tough to understand that one. The spirit of perversion and sexual immorality is out of control. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is one instance I can't, we could go in, I've got statistics, I've got stories, I've got all kinds of stuff that I could talk to you about, but I'm not going to because it's, it's hard to hear. But we're dealing with Ashtoreth, the spirit of Ashtoreth in our world today. And then he mentions Molech. And Molech was one of the gods from the, the children that were born out of incest between Lot and his daughters the Ammonites, and the Moabites. And Molech, as you can see on the screen, this is a a rendering, a drawing, obviously, of what he would have looked like. And what they would do is they would take infants, babies, and they would offer them onto the hands of this statue, this god, and they would stoke a fire, and they would burn these babies alive. This was done daily daily. They would bring to him the, their children, and you can see children around, and um, obviously one right there that they're getting, to, getting ready to put into his hands, and they would sacrifice their children for the sake of prosperity, because they were taught if you do this, then you'll prosper, or you'll have a better life, or I don't know if this sounds familiar to you in the day that we live in, but this is what they were doing, Okay and they worshiped him constantly it was a day it wasn't a weekly thing they were bringing to him hundreds and thousands of children and in order to drown out the cries of the babies they would play drums and they would provide entertainment down in the valleys so that the cries of these babies could not be heard and it was more comfortable for everyone around they entertained themselves While babies were being sacrificed and burned alive in the hands of an idol. Church entertainment is distracting us. Entertainment is distracting us from praying prayers that will snatch and rescue our children out of the hands of spirits that are trying to destroy them. And we are coddled. Because if you can just entertain me, I'll be fine. I don't have to face the truth if you'll just entertain me and distract me. I don't have to really pay attention to reality because you can just entertain me. What entertainment does is it dulls our senses. And it desensitizes us to reality. Caesar said this, if we can entertain them, we can control them. If we can entertain them... We can control them. I don't know if you've ever heard of the term bread and circuses. Anyone ever heard that? It's from a Latin term that was penned by a Roman poet named Juvenal. And the, the Latin term is penem et circenses, which means bread and circuses. The idea that people can be pacified by food and entertainment when they really should be rallying for a cause, isn't a new one. He said this, two things only the people anxiously desire, bread and circuses. He wrote this lamenting the failure of citizens to take action as the Democratic Roman Republic fell and the heavy-handed Roman Empire began to reign. Because it's just too difficult to get upset when your belly is full and your mind is distracted by entertainment. So many things that are coming into our homes, attacking our children, things they're hearing at school, things they're hearing from you, things that you've got playing on your TV screen, it's entertainment, and it's completely blinding you to what's going on. We better wake up. It is time to shake off the blinders of entertainment and wake up we are dealing with these two demonic spirits. There's more that we're dealing with, but I want to hit on these two, Ashtaroth and Molech, the sexual immorality and the sacrificing of our children. I heard someone say recently that the enemy is out to destroy our children, and there are two ways that he does that. One, he'll try to kill them before they're ever born through abortion. Or two, destroy their <clears throat> sorry, destroy their innocence if they survive birth through sexual exploitation, exposure to things of a sexual nature at a very young age, movies, shows, and yes, even our school system. And if you don't think Satan is after your children, there's a statue that they uh, have in Arkansas, you can bring that that's Picture up. This is Baphomet. Have you guys ever heard of this statue? It's the church of Satan, like the satanic temple. This is their their whatever of Satan, okay? This goat head with the pentagram and whatever he's doing. Do you notice who's on both sides of him? It's not grown-ups. It's children, little boy and a little girl. You don't think they're after your kids? You don't think the devil's after your kids? I promise you he is. In Ohio, just a little while ago, a few weeks ago, I read that they sent out, and this is not just in Ohio. This is happening in schools all across America. They're having after-school satanic clubs, not in our high schools, in our elementary schools, grades one through five. They're inviting. This is a flyer for this after-school Satan club. First of all, who in their right mind would send their kid to that? I mean, like, hey, honey, you want to go to a Satan club? Woo! I mean, the fact is that people are. You want to know why? Because they're blind. They're blind. They ha- and if you can see some of the, the screen there, it says they're going to have games, arts and crafts. They're going to have snacks. They're going to have fun. I'm telling you, Satan is after your children. If you are not involved, if your kids are in public school and you are not involved in what they are learning and hearing, you better get involved. That is my thing to you tonight that if you don't take anything away from this, if your kids are in public school, I am begging you with every ounce of passion in me, please get involved in what they're learning. It is your business. It's every bit your business. Because guess what? When you get to heaven, you're going to give account for your kids. And if it ain't going to fly when you go, well, I mean, the school was educating them. Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? You better get involved in what your kids are learning. Because I promise you, there are spirits out there trying to destroy them. I read some statistics I'm going to share with you. In 2018, some 94% of 3 to 18 year olds had home internet access. 88% of them had access through a computer. And like 6% had access through a phone. 48% of students K through first grade level interact with people on websites. I want you to hear this, and I I want it to sink in. So if I pause for a second, it's so that it sinks in. While 50% indicate that their parents watch them when they use a computer, that leaves half of them are prone to being exposed to predators' behaviors and other threats posed by online strangers or even people that they know and might be friends with. 12- to 17-year-olds is the largest group of internet pornography users. 12 to 17 is the largest group of pornography viewers. 90% of boys and 70% of girls younger than 18 years admit to having seen pornography at least once. And can I tell you that when you see it once, you can't unsee it? 32% of teens admit to intentionally seeking out pornographic content online. Pornography sites have more traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. You don't think the devil's after your kids? Teen girls are more likely to seek out pornography than young women that are 25 years or older. 64% of people age 13 to 24 view pornography at least weekly, 64%. That is a large amount of people. 49% of young people, this one just rips my heart out, 49% of young people first viewed pornography before the age of 13. And we get them for an hour on a Wednesday night and an hour on a Sunday morning. You better get in your kids' business Here's the problem with this. Exposure to a sexual culture causes boys and girls to be consumers of people. It puts them on a path toward distorted love and disrespect of others. Pornography, sexual fantasies, and sexual conversation becomes the norm. Have you ever walked through a high school hallway? You don't want to. You'll want to burn your ears off. If they, if they can become addicted to pornography and their perspective of love can become distorted, then they go into relationships as adults with completely unrealistic expectations, baggage, and a doomed marriage. So we have to deal with this stuff when they're young. And we've got to put some boundaries in place when they're young to preserve them when they're old. In an informal meeting survey in 2002, the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers questioned 350 divorce attorneys and found that roughly 60% reported that internet pornography played a significant role in the divorce, with excessive interest in online porn contributing to more than half of such cases. And this is why the pornography industry wants your children. The pornography industry is an enormous business and as such knows how to increase its market. They know what they're doing in marketing because they know who their target is. They know the addictive nature of their product. They know, and we could get into what happens in your brain, and I am a little bit. I'm not going to go too deep into it. We'll save it for another time. But they know how addictive their product is, especially for children and teenagers. So in adolescence, the brain is easily motivated by reward. That's why, you know, we reward our kids. If you want them to do something, then, okay, you get a lollipop if you go clean your room or you'll get five bucks or whatever. So children, their brain is very easily motivated by that. And the reward pathway in the brain, and I'm not even going to try to pretend to uh, pronounce it correctly, it's basically the prefrontal cortex is at its most sensitive state in those age groups. And when stimulated, the brain releases dopamine into that pathway. And it creates this cascading effort of memory and motivation, and then the brain wants more. It's the same, it's the same chemical reaction that happens in when you smoke meth or whatever you do with meth. I don't know. what do you, do you smoke it? I don't even know. I'm sorry. I'm not big on the drug scene. Anyway, <laughs> but it's that same <laughs> chemical reaction that happens with meth and cocaine and the, all these different drugs that affect your brain. It, pornography does the exact same thing, and that's why it's so addictive, and so it's it's Children are very ripe to be addicted to it. Dopamine itself is not bad. It can be a good thing. It helps with motivation when you exercise, for example it releases dopamine and you feel better. Well, I mean, you may not be able to walk for three days, but (laughs) emotionally you should feel better. Like I did something good for myself today. Um, So it can be a good thing, but when dopamine is released as a result of interaction with pornography, it is obviously very detrimental. And it causes the brain to zero in on pornography above all else. To where it's, ugh, I've got to see that again. i got to get home so I can get on my computer or get my phone. I mean, our kids have phones. All they got to do is type it in Google. Super easy, super easy access. Parents, get all up in your kids' phones. Teenagers, listen to me. I'm giving your parents permission to check your phones. And I don't care if you don't like it. <laughs> We're trying to save you. We're trying to keep you from baggage that you have to live with for the rest of your life. And I can't, we could go around the room and there'll be lots of adults in here that say, please listen to what she's saying. But when an adolescent experiences a sexually driven dopamine rush, they focus on the urge to repeat whatever triggered that rush. I got to see it again. They experience a dopamine rush at the the mere thought of uh, getting to see it. They care about nothing else but getting another fix. It's the same as a drug addict. And it develops a consumer mentality. Other people become objects for consumption rather than individuals of worth and try taking that into a marriage where they're just an object and nothing of value. And they become unable to see the big picture. The immediate desire for pornography takes the place of investing in a loving relationship. The first time someone looks at pornography or experiences these fantasies, the brain stores that experience. I want you to think about your kids right now and what they've looked at or what they may be looking at. At 10, 8, 7, whatever. Because I promise you these kids are figuring out how to find stuff on the internet. We ain't raising dummies. We live in a very technological world. And some of your kids and my girls can find stuff on YouTube quicker than snot. I don't know. That probably shouldn't have been said. <laughs> I don't know, that was my country coming out. <laughs> Sorry about that. But our kids are smart. They know what they're doing. And if you don't think that the pornography industry is putting stuff in their way to accidentally click on you better think again meanwhile the dopamine shouts an irresistible message to the brain that says do it again and with repeated access the demand grows and it takes more and more to create the same effect that just same as a drug addict one hit won't do enough so you got to get more and more and more same exact process To an enslaved brain, pornography and sexual fantasies become as basic as a need for food and water. Many boys and girls say that they get hooked, listen at this, they get hooked through all too common sexually charged ads. Ever walked past some of these stores in the mall and had to cover your kid's eyes? Romantic movies like Chick Flick's, where everything's perfect and the music is just right and it's in slow motion, all that mess. Coarse sexual joking. All these little jokes that you think are not harmful, oh, we're just kidding. You better watch your mouth. Better watch your conversation because sexual content is available everywhere. You could be watching a football game and your cheerleaders over here have all everything hanging out, and you've got a little eight-year-old boy. What do you think he's looking at? He ain't looking at the color of their uniform. Okay, I'm just saying. They say that children will view more than 40,000 commercials each year. In a year, a child will see 40,000 commercials. And can I tell you the commercials are not for VeggieTales and get to church? They're not. You better put some guards up in your homes. I am pleading with you for the sake of your children, for the sake of your marriages. Put up some guards in your home. Don't just watch everything that comes across the screen. Let the Holy Ghost that we have that is there to guide us, let it do what it's supposed to do. If you're sitting there, my dad used to say this to me, because I grew up, we did not have a TV in our home, and I am thankful for that. But I went to a friend's house one time, told him I was going to do homework, but you know what I was doing? I was watching TV. (laughs) I confess, he knows, he knew about it, I told him. But he told me, he said, Valerie, anytime you go and you watch TV, I want you to sit down and think, would I watch this if Jesus was sitting next to me? And do you know to this day... (laughs) I think that, like, oh, yeah, I probably shouldn't watch this. Because guess what? Jesus is pretty much sitting there. And you know who else is watching? Satan. And he's looking for any way to sneak in and bring destruction. Let's not hand our families over to him on a silver platter. So that's where we are. That's what we're dealing with. And obviously, there's a lot more that we're dealing with, but those two things right there are things that are specifically attacking our children, our homes, our marriages. So now what? Now what do we do? Okay? And it's easy. I, I talked in a uh Bible study last year. I think it was last year. I talked about a term that doesn't sit real well with everybody, <clears throat> of lazy parenting, it's easy to be passive. It's easy just to give them a screen and say, I've got so much to do, I need you to get out of my face for a little bit and just let them go do their thing. It's easy to do that. And that's exactly what the devil's looking for. Now, if you have you have boundaries and you've got, you know, things on that your kids can't get into, letting them, Go sit and do something by themselves for a little bit, okay. That's between you and God. But when that's your parenting go to, I read an article yesterday on why it's good for kids to be bored. (laughs) It's good. Go let them sit in their room without a screen in their face and see this imagination that God gave them. Come to life. They'll start playing with their toys again. They'll start imagining, which some imagining can be like, oh, that's weird. But for the most part, I mean, as long as they're not like 14 going, Mom, this is my imaginary friend, then we have a problem. <laughs> okay? We need, to, we need to see somebody. But let them get bored. If they come to you and say, Mom, can I have the iPad or whatever? No, why don't you go do something else? And trust me. I have been there, okay? I'm coming at you from experience. They throw a fit. They're upset at you. It's okay if your kid gets mad at you. It's okay. In fact, it's probably good. <laughs> and so I want you, I want you. if your kid is in here, I want you to look at him and say, I don't care if you're mad at me. <laughs> Some of y'all did it. Some of your kids are in there, and you'll tell them when they get in the car, and they'll have no clue why you're saying it, and you'll just go off on them. Don't do that. <laughs> get in the car, and they're like, I don't care. I don't care that you're mad at me. Oh, I don't do anything. Anyway. So what we have to do is we have to be intentional. Intentionality is the key. And we've got to make decisions as parents, as husbands, as wives, as single adults, as teenagers about how we will own the spiritual atmosphere in our home. We must own the spiritual atmosphere in our homes, y'all. You can't control the spiritual atmosphere out there. At your job, at your school, yes, we pray and we take authority over these spirits and we pray for people, but in your home... You have absolute control of the spiritual atmosphere. And it is your job, it is your responsibility to take control of it. If your teenager is running the house, things are out of order. If your teenager talks to you like you're trash and you let them do it, it's out of order. Apply the rod of correction every now and then. And you can obviously use wisdom. (laughs) all right but I grew up with the rod of correction as a great part of my life and I turned out all right all right it's your job it is I'm going to repeat it again it is your job it is your responsibility to own the spiritual atmosphere in your home stop letting spirits come over your kids and allowing your kid to hijack the house All right, I'll move on. It's going to take boldness, okay? And what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to pray this into your spirit because it's very easy to be passive. It's very easy, and it's like I don't have the energy to fight my kid. I don't have the energy to tell my two-year-old no once again. You're going to have to pray this into your spirit. God, help me be the parent you called me to be. Help me to be the one, because at the end of the day, they're going to look to you, good or bad, they're going to look to you. So it's your job, it is your God-given calling before you're anything else. Before you're an usher, before you're a preacher, before you're whatever your role is in this church, you are a parent, you are a husband or a wife or whatever your role might be right now to own the spiritual atmosphere in your home. If you're single, this is a great opportunity to set some really good precedents for your life so that when you start dating whoever you date and you can have a conversation, say, look, this is how things are going to (laughs) go. This is the things that I've set up for my life. Does, do you match up with that? If they don't, then, all right, next. <laughs> what is it, swipe? <laughs> swiping. I've only heard of that. I've obviously never done it. They didn't have that when I was 18. I got married at 18, so anyway. <clears throat> but right now is a great time to take control over that. And you can start tonight. If your home has been in chaos, if things have been out of order, Make up your mind tonight. All right, we're going home and we're setting some things straight. Okay, do it in love. Do it with godly wisdom. I'm hearing chuckles because there's some a Manning happening. <laughs> really Thank you, brother Bo, for being with me. You're you you got my back. I appreciate that. <laughs> But be intentional about how you're going to live your life in your home. Be intentional about talking to your kids about what your values are. They're going to get their values from you, or they should. They should be hearing what the Word of God says from you, not anyone else. we got to be intentional about the temperature of our home. Create a place of safety and peace. When the world around us is going to hell in a handbasket, we ain't joining them. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Be intentional about creating a home of prayer, devotion, and God-centeredness. And we have given you resources this year to do that. Those devotions out there, if you haven't got them yet, you need to get them. And go through these with your kids. Sit around. We've freed up the calendar during the week. You've got plenty of time to sit for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever, while you're eating dinner and get those devotion books out and start talking about the word of God with your families. Be intentional about guarding your children from evil influences. And I've already approached this, even if they get mad at you, because look, the devil's trying to kill them. He's trying to take them to hell. So their soul is worth them getting a little bit mad at you. Don't back down. You got this. <laughs> all right. We got a support group for parents. I know it's hard. I promise you, especially when you have multiple little ones. I know I raised them. Not yours, mine. I know I had three. The three of them were all under the age of, 11 10 so I had three that were under the age of 10 I had when they were really young I was dragging them all trying to get them you know I've told the story about how I was determined I was going to make sure Brooke sat through church and did not make a peep and she was going to be the perfect child right and so I was going to apply what I did what my mom did to me because it worked for me I was going to apply that to Brooke so she was about four years old she was acting up on the front row and so I reached over and pinched the fire out of her leg because that's what my mom did to me. And when, it, when, I, when my mom did it to me, immediately I was like, ooh, I better straighten up. That hurt. I don't want that to happen again. Well, for Brooke, it was I should scream at the top of my lungs and tell everybody that you just pinched me. So that's what she did. She goes, ow, you pinched me. I was like, you little liar. <laughs> I know it's tough. I know, okay. I've been there. But be consistent. It's worth it. And now she pretty much sits through (laughs) church. She's not here tonight, so I can pick on her. Bless her heart. She's she is at a church conference, so she's sitting in church right now. She could probably feel me talking about her. But be intentional. Don't back down. Be consistent. And be intentional, this is a good one too, about communicating mercy and grace to your children. When they mess up, don't hold it over their heads. When they come to you and say, Mom, Dad, I messed up. I did this, that, whatever. You pray with them. You example to them the mercy of God. Just like they need to see and be taught values from you, they need to be taught mercy and grace from you as well. And they need to see that exampled in your lives. So, as a church, we're being intentional. And tonight, we've highlighted the original plan. We talked about what went wrong, where we are now, and what we're dealing with. And going forward, we're going to examine some individuals in the Bible for the rest of this quarter on how we counterattack. We're going to look at RISPA. We're going to look at... Jochebed, Moses' mother, those are two that we're going to talk about next week. Also Joshua declaring, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. All right? So let's stand. I don't know. Are they done in the kids? They should be probably. They're probably like, Sister Valerie, can you please be quiet so they can come get their little cherubs in faith? I'm speaking in faith. They're all little cherubs. And I want us to pray, first of all, pray that God would give us as the rulers of our homes, as parents and husbands, wives, whatever you are, you live in your house, you have, you have control there, okay? Teenagers, I want you to pray over your mind. I want you to pray that God would help you to give you understanding and help you to do what's pleasing to the Lord. We all need to pray that, All right. Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that you bring things to light to our lives, Lord, so that we can make course corrections. And God, I pray that that would happen tonight. I pray for every father, every mother, husband, wife, grandparent, every teenager. God, I plead your blood over our minds and our thoughts tonight. God, I pray right now that you would give us strength. God, more than anything, I want to see my children make it to heaven. If I win the whole world, but I lose my own kids, what have I gained? God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would...
0: Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m., Eastern Standard Time. Also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So
1: I'm going away do you cheeks. I've gone away